The bald eagle is an American symbol, a source of awe when spotted out in the wild. And lucky for us here in the state of Colorado, a resident of our beautiful state in plentiful numbers. I'm your host, Mark Johnson, and today we're talking bald eagles on Colorado Outdoors. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. Joining us now at Colorado Outdoors is Risa Conry. She's an avion researcher for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Conry leading up a study on bald eagles across the Front Range. Risa, welcome to Colorado Outdoors. For starters here, just give us a little bit of history on bald eagles in the state of Colorado as we kind of delve into this interesting topic. Well, the history of bald eagles in Colorado mimics the history of bald eagles nationwide. So bald eagles are our national symbol. Um, at one time, we're, we're plentiful, but um, during the 1900s, populations took a dive, largely due to the insecticide DDT that was made uh, famous by Rachel Carson in her book, Silent Spring. So bald eagles were documented to have reached their low in the 1960s. Hmm. And as I said, largely that was DDT, but also things like human persecution and habitat loss. Uh, we had a raptor researcher with Colorado Parks and Wildlife at that time, the Division of Wildlife, named Jerry Craig. And he started looking at bald eagles in the 1970s when we had um, our first documented nests in the state. None of those were in the front range. Um, but during the 1970s, we had anywhere between one and three occupied nests per year. Mm. So compare that to 2020 when we know that we had at minimum uh, 213 occupied nests, and that's probably a pretty big understatement. Um, wow. We probably could have had double that number in 2020. So um, bald eagles were one of the first species listed under the Federal Endangered Species Act in 1973, and prior to that they had been protected in 1967 by the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act federally. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at a graph of uh, both nest numbers or just uh, numbers of eagles every year, um, you see what looks like kind of an exponential curve, an increase that started off slowly and accelerated over the years. And, uh, yeah, bald eagles, I mean, their numbers are definitely going up, 
but um, as their numbers go up, so too do concerns about how we manage them well in an area with an increasing human population. Boy, Risa, I know you're, you're never going to rest on your laurels, but what you just illustrated there is a great success story, is it not, here in the state of Colorado? It is, yeah. In Colorado and nationwide, um, there, it's definitely a success story. So um, last year, the Fish and Wildlife Service published a uh, report showing that in about 10 years from 2009 to 2019, it appears that bald eagle numbers um, in the contiguous U.S. states quadrupled and nest numbers doubled. Mm. And we're seeing those kinds of increases here as well. So purely in terms of numbers, bald eagles do appear to be doing well in Colorado and nationwide. You know, I'm not breaking any news here when I say that the population here in the state of Colorado is exploding. It's a boom in residential and commercial development. Now, in conjunction with the robust population of, of bald eagles you're talking about, uh, sharing the landscape here with all of us here in the Front Range, uh, tell us a little how maybe that sparked the research that you guys are doing right now. Yeah, so um, our research is focused on the Front Range of Colorado. So that would be from Denver all the way up to Fort Collins. Um, east to Greeley, Boulder, Longmont, uh, Loveland, all those communities. And in the Front Range, as, as you mentioned, the human population is growing quite a bit. So it's grown about 18% since the year 2000. And that was a number from about a year ago. So for all I know by now, it's even higher than that. And the Front Range is expected to host most of Colorado's future growth. Um, so, you know, with urban development, we have less native habitat and fewer prairie dogs and other things like that that bald eagles like to eat. But on the other hand, um, a lot of this landscape would have been short grass prairie, and now we have more trees. Um, we have more reservoirs because people need water resources. Um, so there's, there's pluses and minuses, I think, for bald eagles. Um, it, with all that human population growth, we have more development in terms of houses and businesses and oil and gas facilities and wind farms and things like that. Mm -hmm. We also have a lot more recreational use as our human population likes to get out in nature and hike and ride bikes and things like that. Um, the public are very interested in their bald eagles. A lot of these more urban and suburban bald eagles have their, their fan clubs, so they are very visible and very recognizable. To the public and within our agency we're responding to quite a few queries on bald eagles so just in the northeast region just in the, the northern part of the front range uh, one of our staff members who deals with uh, land use concerns told me that it's about every other day that he gets a query about bald eagles hmm. uh, whether that be from consultants or developers or a concerned member of the public. So I think it's fair to say that across the state, easily every day we're dealing with some sort of concern about management and conservation of bald eagles. You know, one of the neater aspects of this study, and, and any time I talk to any of you folks with CPW and, and you're studying something, there seems to be new technology involved. Tell us about these tiny backpack-like tracking devices that you guys use. I'm fascinated by this. How, how does that whole process work? Yeah, so... We have had transmitters that have been getting smaller and smaller as technology improves uh, that have been able to communicate with 
satellites. We've had those for a while. Now, initially, you had biologists running around with these um, antennae, you know, kind of looked like the old antennae that you used to have to have on your roof sure. um, to make your TV work. Um, and so that, that transformed into the satellite technology. And now the newest iteration, instead of communicating directly with satellites, these transmitters are pinging off of cell towers. So um, they are GPS, GSM transmitters. So global positioning system, global system for mobile communications, which just means that they're working on our mobile communications network. So that allows them to be even smaller. So when we started the project a year ago, the weight of our transmitters plus our harnesses that, that we're using to, to apply these to the eagles and attach them via a, a backpack, like, like you were saying, um, was about, so it was about 70, 70 grams, and that's about less than 2% of the weight of an adult male bald mm-hmm. eagle. And the males are 20 to 25% smaller than the females. Um, just in the last mm, five, six months, we have a newer version of the transmitter that's less than 50 grams. So now we're approaching 1% of the body weight of an adult eagle. Hmm. So they are small. They're lower profile than the older transmitters used to be. The solar panel is less reflective, so it's it's less noticeable on the bird. And we get great data. Um, so during the day when eagles are moving around, the kind of base plan Um, The base rate of locations is about every 15 minutes, and that in itself is pretty remarkable, but these transmitters, which are, they're made by CTT. CTT stands for Cellular Tracking Technologies, and so their more frequent data, um, when the birds are flying, there's something called flight mode that kicks in. And if you have that enabled, we can get locations every four seconds. So that gives wow. you a very, very accurate track, and you can see exactly where the birds go. Um, so it's a big advantage for this study where we're looking at birds nesting along a gradient from rather urban to still rather rural nest sites. Um, you know, we can see exactly where they're going to and from their nest sites and where they're foraging and whether they're tracking along waterways, avoiding roads, avoiding um, wind farms, and just exactly where they're foraging. So how many eagles are we talking about here that, that you're fitting with these transmitters? What, what kind of sample size? Well, our goal is to get transmitters on 20 to 30 eagles. Um, right now we have them on 10 eagles, so we're just partway into the study. And uh, actually eight of those transmitters have, have gotten onto birds just in the last month or so. Um, so we've been most successful by far during the late nesting period. I guess it's kind of like when you have teenagers in your house uh, that just are super hungry and requiring a lot of effort to feed. I think it's the same <laughs> with the eagle. So that late nestling period okay. is, uh, has been our most successful time so far for um, trapping adults and getting transmitters on them. You know, you're talking about the uh, the plentiful number of eagles here and, and nests in the state of Colorado. What, do you know much yet about, about the transient nature? Are there birds coming in and out of the state? Or once they find a home, are they, are they pretty stationary? What do you know about that? It's hard to say for sure. The nests are quite large, and they require a lot of investment from the birds mm-hmm. to build and maintain. And so those nest structures are used for multiple years, typically until the nest 
is destroyed or blown down in a windstorm or a snowstorm. But because very few eagles in the state are banded, we can't say for sure whether the birds that are using them are the same birds from year to year. But in general, we, we think that they likely are. Um, so over winter last year, so last, last summer and fall, those were the first two transmitters that we got onto birds. But okay. over winter, I only had two transmitters to look at. Um, one of those transmitters was on a breeding female. And she did stay in her territory for almost the entire year hmm. from last July 2020 when she was banded until now. Um, she did move away from the immediate area of her nest at times to forage in um, other reservoirs and other areas, generally within like five or ten miles of her nest. So okay. um, twice now, though, she has taken a little multi-day trip up towards Laramie and Wyoming and then returned back. So um, as far as we can tell, our, our breeding birds inhabit their territories for the most part year-round but they're tied a little bit less to their specific nest site and nest tree when they're outside of the breeding season. Well, just like human beings, right? Uh, eagles have got a you know vacation every once in a while, so I guess it's okay to leave the state, right? <laughs> I guess so, yes. <laughs> you know, I'd have to imagine, Risa, that a, that a project like this is going to take a lot of cooperation. You've got some partners helping out with all this research? We have many partners helping out with, with the research. So one of our most important partners is Bird Conservancy of the Rockies. They have been collecting data on bald eagles through their Bald Eagle Watch program since, I believe, 1988. Uh, they have lots of volunteers that have uh, volunteered to take on certain nests and provide regular observations. So although we've mostly been talking about the transmitters and that portion of this research, the, the yearly nest monitoring data, um, and I say yearly, but really those volunteers are going out at least every two weeks and sometimes, you know, two or three times a week. Um, and that information, those direct observations of the birds and their nests is super valuable. And those nest histories are a really important part of this research as well. So um, Bird Conservancy is a really important volunteer, but we have many, many partners that are contributing data to our statewide raptor nesting database that would include bald eagles and, and all the other raptors that we have nesting in the state. So we have um, cities and counties. We have our federal partners like the Park Service, the BLM, the Forest Service. Um, specifically for, for this research and the, the trapping portion of the study, um, the city of Fort Collins, the city of Loveland, city of Longmont, and city of Aurora have been super helpful. But yeah, it takes it takes a lot of folks to um, to contribute both data and support to the project. I also want to highlight the Audubon Society of Greater Denver, who through their Lois Webster Fund um, purchased three of the transmitters and the data plans for this research project. Very nice. Yeah, it takes a lot of uh, cooperation for something like this. You know, j just listening to what you're talking about, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'd imagine, do you feel pretty optimistic about the long-term outlook for bald eagles here in the state of Colorado? Yeah, I mean, I think if you just look at the graphs of their population numbers, um, you know, hopefully we'll stay on this trajectory, and, you know, perhaps they can't accelerate at this rate forever, but hopefully they will stabilize at some point at a, a healthy level. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of just nest numbers and, and numbers of eagles in the state, I feel pretty good about the trajectory that they're on. But at the same time, there are definitely concerns and, and conflicts that occur. And, you know, specifically, we're trying to figure out what things these eagles will tolerate and what things they won't tolerate so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told by Birds of Prey Foundation, um, they, they do rehab work on um, injured birds, injured raptors that come into their facility, that about 70% of the bald eagles that they receive in their facility have elevated lead levels. Hmm. So for me, I would say that, that lead, um, which is primarily ingested probably when eagles scavenge on waterfowl or um, other animals that have been shot, yeah. um, things like electrocutions, um, bird strikes, whether it be with, with cars, um, or other uh, like buildings or, or wind turbines or things like that are, are a concern. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have concerns, and we want to make sure that our populations of bald eagles remain healthy, and that's part of the reason that we're doing this project, so that we can refine the recommendations that we as Colorado Parks and Wildlife give to, to developers, to the concerned general public, to consultants um and so that we're, we're giving the best guidance that we possibly can and lastly here i, I think uh, and, and you kind of intimated this early in our conversation i think as a proud american because it is the symbol of america anytime anybody sees a bald eagle we're all awed by the experience i wonder you you work with this every single day is, is there something unique about the bald eagles that fascinates you or, or you enjoy uh, dealing with on a day-to-day basis sure uh many things so I have the privilege of releasing the first bald eagle that we captured in this study. So wow. I was able to handle that bird. And, you know, it's interesting, like a lot of raptors, when they're hooded, which, which we do for safety while we're handling the birds, when they're hooded, they're, they're quite docile for um, an animal that's that big and that, that powerful. But, man, when you take the hood off and they're looking at you and their, their feet and their legs are free, that's a big bird. So I'm <laughs> five foot two, a little over a hundred pounds, and holding an unhooded, untethered bald eagle is is an armful for me. And that was that was really exciting to be able to release that first bird that was part of the research study. Um, but just seeing them in the wild is impressive. You know, sometimes early in the season their nests are very visible, but once their trees leaf out, um, it's a little harder to see them. So um, you know, when you're following a nest and you're having a hard time deciding if the nestlings have hatched or not, and you're trying to get an accurate count, it can be really rough. So when you finally get that great observation and maybe the adults change places, maybe dad's brought in a fish and they shift and you can get a good view of all those little ones, that's really exciting. And just like anybody else, I love looking at the the nest cams, the webcams on the nest. Um, and so I highly recommend that people go out and check out those bald eagle nest cans. Well, that's awesome stuff, and you're doing wonderful work. We appreciate that. And, Risa, we thank you for joining us today on Colorado Outdoors. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Now let's transition to Matt Smith, avian ecologist with the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies. Matt, thanks for joining us here for a couple of minutes. So just off the top here, tell us a little bit about your role with the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies and, and uh, what its mission is. Yeah, uh, Mark, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on. Really appreciate that. And um, 
So I am, uh, as you said, an ecologist, and um, my role with Bird Conservancy is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, bird monitoring. So I'm involved with our Integrated Monitoring and Bird Conservation Regions Program, which is a large-scale bird monitoring project uh, across the Great Plains and Mountain West. Um, but I'm also, um, you know, kind of in charge of our um, – Bald Eagle Watch Citizen Science Program, okay. uh, which monitors bald eagles across the state. Uh, most of our activities in the Front Range, but um, we do have some activity statewide. Um, as far as the organization goes, you know we're we're really uh, dedicated to preserving birds and their habitats, and uh, doing that. Um, you know, kind of uh, with a with a multi pronged approach through science. Um, Stewardship outreach um, and education with landowners, um, and then also our education programs, which are uh, a lot of them are geared towards uh, school age, uh, you know, kids getting them out in nature, getting them hands-on learning um, with birds, and, and the opportunity to um, be involved in some of some of the uh, citizen science things that we do with our banding stations, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, programs for adults, and that's kind of where our citizen science and education uh, have some some cross flow there um, with, you know, monitoring bald eagles, for instance, is a great opportunity to learn a lot about their natural history uh, from the materials we provide uh, to especially being out there looking through a spotting scope and, and observing their behavior and, and um, kind of how their life cycle uh, progresses uh, throughout the year. When you talk about monitoring bald eagle nests, what what kind of things are you looking for? What what kind of data are are you trying to gather in that process? Well, you know, we're really interested in you know where they're nesting first of all, um, and then also how productive are they, and, and what things may influence their level of productivity and, and their ability to uh, you know remain on the landscape as as the uh, as the landscape changes. Um, with, with human development and, uh, you know, an expanding population, especially in the front range. And, um, you know, so we're looking at when do they return to their territories? Um, when do they begin nest construction, begin incubation, um, you know, around what time of year, uh, you know, what dates are, are young fledging, how many are there, and uh, as well as the, the conditions surrounding the nest. So we're looking at habitat components uh, as well as, uh, sources of possible disturbance to the eagles. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a big focus of of what we're looking for when we're out there. Is, is there anything that's a threat to this nest, either in the immediate, uh, you know, in the now, or uh, a long-term threat like proposed development or, you know, just land use changes that could alter the landscape around the bird's territory uh, that may make them less likely to be successful in the future. Boy, when it, when it comes to what you're doing, Matt, with the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies, I mean, you're not a one-man band. There, there are a lot of volunteers involved in this, aren't there? And, and it seems that that number's increasing from what I understand. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, they they are the backbone of the program. They're, you know, the, the volunteer workforce we have out there monitoring eagles uh, makes this possible to collect these data that we um, need to evaluate these things that I was just talking about. Um, you know, we've, uh, in recent years, we've really 
drawn in a, a good number of more people, and that's been really helpful because, uh, you know, the bald eagle population appears to continue to grow. And so to have the, enough, um, you know, survey effort out there to monitor these nests, we, we need people to, to come and help. And, um, you know, we, we've seen just amazing dedication to this from our volunteers, and w- without them, we really just couldn't do this. It, it, uh, it just wouldn't be practical. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about our volunteers. They're a lot of really uh, smart, dedicated people with a lot of um, good skills that are, are you know, really, uh, you know, people who are wanting to learn. Sure. And, and bringing that enthusiasm to what they're doing with us. And, you know, I get just some, you know, amazing questions about uh, bald eagle behavior and, and natural history from, from folks that don't necessarily have a background in wildlife biology or, um, you know, ecology or anything like that. It's just people who are curious and, and care about the, uh, you know, the state of our wildlife in Colorado. Well, it's got to be fascinating for them. And, and I would also think that there's got to be a rewarding aspect for the volunteers that jump in and help you folks out, realizing that the, the data collected, the information collected, is really helping manage bald eagles here in the state of Colorado. That's got to be a, a little bit of a benefit for those volunteers as well, I would think. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, this program has been around since 1988, and um, I'm just the most recent uh, steward of, of this program. And, uh, you know, for, for a while, the data was being collected, um, shared with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, but not a lot of uh, research has been done using it. And in, in recent years, we've uh, been able to make some changes and improvements to the data collection and to our, uh, you know, collaboration with Colorado Parks and Wildlife on the research front. And so I think it is, it is very satisfying, I think, for volunteers to see that their, their effort is being utilized um, to try to improve bald eagle management, to learn more about the status of the species in Colorado and what their needs are. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I think it's uh, very important that, you know, we share those things with them and, and um, make sure they know that their, their efforts are, are valued. Sure. And so being able to bring them in and kind of have them play a very important role in um, the project that we're collaborating with, with CPW on with, with the disturbance uh, evaluations and things, some things that I'm sure Risa talked about, um, you know, they're playing an active role in this and, uh, and getting to be there as it happens. And uh, I think a lot of them have, have enjoyed that quite a lot. And I'm, I'm you know, appreciate their uh, their enthusiasm for it. Yeah, well, it's it's very interesting work, obviously. Is there a need for more volunteers here across the state of Colorado and on the Front Range? Well, you know, we, uh, I, I, we're, we're really always looking for for more people who are interested in helping. Um, you know, we've, we've, we're in a pretty good situation right now uh, with being able to cover our nests, uh, but sometimes we might just be getting maybe the minimum number of observations we need to make certain important determinations. So, you know, the more people we can get out there doing this, the, the better the data is going to be. And, and as I said, the, the population of bald eagles in Colorado, and particularly the Front Range, appears to be 
uh, still increasing. So as new nests pop up that we weren't previously aware of, we're going to need somebody to cover that one. And, and again, just getting repeat observations by, by different observers is a huge benefit to data quality. So one thing I would say to a new volunteer with our program is that if they are assigned to a nest that is already being watched by somebody, uh, that doesn't uh, take away from the value of, of their effort and their observations. It, it's actually almost kind of a, a force multiplier. So, Matt, if there are people out there who would like to uh, be part of the volunteer staff of the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies, uh, where might they go? Well, they can uh, check out our volunteer programs at birdconservancy.org and uh, just navigate over to the Get Involved and click on our Community Science page. There will be uh, contact information for myself regarding the Bald Eagle Watch program, um, as well as uh, a couple other uh, programs that we run with Eastern Screech Owls, um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, my, uh, my office number is on there, and uh, they can also uh, reach me via email at matt at ecr.eco. All right. Well, if somebody out there wants to get involved, go to the website or email Matt, and uh, they can put you to work helping out this great program with the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies. Lastly, Matt, here before we let you go, uh, bald eagles are such an incredible creature. And any time you know, I'm out and about and I happen to see one uh, up in a tree or flying about, I mean, I'm just mesmerized. I think everybody is. Well, what impresses you about the bald eagles you've studied for so many years? Well, you know, I, I think I'd have to say – you know, aside from just the, their their physically imposing uh, presence and just you know being a, a very interesting raptor, uh, natural history wise, I think their adaptability uh, to the changes that we've introduced to the landscape is is really remarkable. Uh, for a long time, bald eagles uh, were regarded as a, a species very sensitive to any kind of human disturbance, and while they certainly can be what I've seen in my time working with them is that they are uh, remarkably able to adapt and and to make it work in places where 20, 30 years ago we never would have expected. Hmm. And so just their, their tenacity and, and um, you know, just their survivors. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a really interesting quality in, in an animal uh, to, to see their, their ability to, to hang in there with the changes and uh, and not only hang in there, but thrive. Yeah, they are regal creatures, uh, no doubt about that. Matt Smith, avian ecologist with the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies. Great information. We appreciate the time. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Our final guest today on Colorado Outdoors is Mike Sherman. He's a wildlife biologist for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Welcome to Colorado Outdoors. I guess off the top here, just give our listeners a little idea of, uh, as a wildlife biologist, you kind of your typical work duties and what monitoring duties or management oversight you have on bald eagles right now. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's an honor to talk uh, on this podcast. Yeah, so I have been monitoring um, a lot of raptor species uh, across the northeast region and particularly uh, in the northern front range across uh Larimer, Weld, and Boulder counties for um, the 24 years that I've been on board with the agency. And uh, bald eagles happen to be one of the species. Probably there's about uh, oh, 20 raptor species or so that we monitor regularly. Uh, most importantly, about a top seven that we're paying a special attention to, the two eagle species, 
uh, 2,000 species, uh, et cetera, and bald eagles being one of those. So I have spent uh, a lot of time looking for new nests uh, where bald eagles uh, are building new nests across the northern front range and monitoring those nests uh, once we have found them and also in the wintertime monitoring for uh, communal roosting sites for bald eagles. So, You know, they're fascinating creatures, obviously, and here in the United States, obviously, being our symbol uh, for the U.S., I think people are fascinated by them. When we see them in nature, I think we're all mesmerized by bald eagles. What, what do you appreciate uh, about what this bird is? Um, well, for one, what's somewhat exciting is that uh, the number of bald eagles and the number of uh, active bald eagles, uh, active nesting bald eagles in the state has been increasing. You can't say that about uh, all species out there. Uh, since the 1970s, we've seen, you know, a very large increase in bald eagles, especially along the northern front range, the entire front range, really the South Platte drainage. Um, so I really enjoy spending time finding new nests. I enjoy watching across the entire season uh, what the eagles are doing in terms of courtship, adding sticks to their nests, defending their territories, and laying eggs, of course, raising their eaglets, and then having the eaglets fledge. There's something satisfying in just sort of monitoring uh, a given nest or dozens of nests across a, a season. The bald eagles tend to be a early nesting raptor uh, in Colorado, at least on the front range here, and so... Um, it's sort of exciting to see the way that they uh, deal with a lot of the weather that comes in uh, during the time that they're nesting uh, in the early season and then also towards the latter part of the season with the heat like we're seeing this week with our heat waves. Hmm. So. You know, I'm wondering, from a, a study standpoint, as you guys are gathering uh, research and data on, on bald eagles, what that, that data, what can CPW do with that to help kind of manage the species here in the state? Well, that's a really good question. Um, we have certain buffer recommendations for uh, many species uh, of raptors. Uh, that's in terms of distance and timing when uh, humans are going to be doing any sort of disturbance or work within that area. And I guess um, the bald eagles over the years here tend to be adapting pretty well to the urban interface. And we're seeing a lot of bald eagles that are nesting literally in people's backyards, like you might see uh, some of the corvids doing and, and even some red-tailed hawks and Swainson's hawks, it's really surprising that some of the bald eagles are nesting in such urban areas. Uh, it's new for Colorado somewhat, um, as opposed to nesting in what we would uh, think of as more remote um, areas that you typically would see, say, for golden eagles. Um, Let's see. The, the work that we're doing hopefully is going to show, and it will show because we're collecting a tremendous amount of data, where the active bald eagles nest, active nesting bald eagles are moving, um, and what type of habitat they're using, and what prey bases they're looking at. Hmm. So that sort of picture overall, where the eagles are across the landscape, uh, may help to aid management in the future about continue our buffer recommendations for these eagle nests, or in some areas, maybe those buffer recommendation distances and timings will change. Also, we should be able to key into uh, the areas that bald eagles are using, specifically, say, prairie dog towns or a given lake, and 
maybe towards land conservation efforts, we might be able to target some of those areas that are important to bald eagles, specifically around a nest in the future. Mike, can you talk a little bit about uh, the role that private landowners play in this study? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are numerous phone calls being made trying to line up all the logistics for capture work and that sort of thing. Yes, and that's a big part of uh, my uh, role in this project. Um, most of the bald eagle nests do occur on private property. Some do occur on city, some on county, some on state lands, even some on federal lands. Um, so given that the, the, most of the nests do occur on private property, even though the bald eagles are sort of, uh, you know, belong to the state and to the people and are, are not, of course, owned by the people on whose nest uh, they're, they're uh, located, where the nest is located, uh, we do not go on to private property. We do not access private property or access these nests that are on private property unless we're given permission by the landowners. I spend a lot of my time finding out um, the landowners that are surrounding a nest and then working with our uh, eagle uh, capture uh, person, Mike Lockhart, who you'll, you'll probably uh, ask me a little bit about, uh, finding the ideal spot in which to attempt to capture the eagles for our study, to put radio transmitters on them. We're trying to find the right habitat where capture is best. And then I'm looking on the map around these nests to find out where that habitat is, who owns that land, and then contacting those landowners, explaining to them our project, and asking them for permission to participate. Uh, and whenever we're working on private land, we really involve the private landowners in terms of when we're going to be capturing, and if we do capture a bird, having them come out and be there for the processing of the bird. So uh, the role of private landowners is integral in this. You know, you just sent me up beautifully for that. my next question here. I was going to ask you about Mike Lockhart. Now, he's the individual contracted to deploy the tracking monitors on the Eagles. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and, and, and Mike's involvement? Sure. I've known Mike for um, many years through um, just the, the world of uh, raptor biology and, and conferences. Uh, and Mike's very well known in this area, uh, living fairly locally. And I knew that Mike's experience trapping eagles, particularly his past work with golden eagles and now more so bald eagles, is one of the, one of the, he's one of the top rated eagle capturers, so to speak, in the country. And so I asked Mike if he would be willing to assist us with this study, and he was, and I feel we're extremely fortunate to have him on board. Uh, Mike's not only a fantastic biologist, uh, he's a really easy guy to work with, and um, he's very knowledgeable on the technology um, that we're working on with regards to the types of transmitters we're using, and uh, somewhat innovative himself in the design of how, how attaching these to the birds safely. So... I've got to ask you this. With your close proximity and, and being involved in a capture of eagle, they are such monstrous and, and phenomenal creatures. What, what's it like to hold a bald eagle? Um, well, holding a bald eagle uh, requires extreme attention to detail. <laughs> I so bet. <laughs> one is typically uh, holding the eagle uh, by the legs, by the feet, and then cradling it in your uh, arms here. That's during uh, the time when we are sometimes processing it, um, and then also just prior to releasing the bird. Uh, extreme attention has to be given to the talons, which are, are probably the most dangerous part of the eagle. Um, it's wonderful to hold the eagle, as it is, I think, wonderful to have the opportunity to hold any wildlife. Um, 
always keeping in mind the goal here is our research and the research questions, and that's why we're doing this. Um, I think all of us working on this, especially when we have the birds uh, in hand, are working as efficiently as possible so that we can um, release the bird again back to its nesting site unharmed and as fast as possible. But uh, I feel I feel like it's quite an honor to be able to, to hold an eagle. So That's outstanding. I can only imagine. And yeah. lastly here, and I'm kind of reading between the lines of what you're saying, and you talked about the population increasing here in, in the state. Uh, I'd imagine you feel pretty optimistic about the, uh, the future of, of eagles here in the state of Colorado? I do. Uh, I do, for sure. Uh, numerous other species are increasing as well, um, but bald eagles being one of those. Bald eagles um, have done very well since the 70s, uh, not just in Colorado, but across the west, uh, in the southeast, and then, of course, up north. Uh, they've always done fairly well. But, yeah, uh, bald eagles seem to be adapting to the urban landscape quite well here. So uh, I feel very optimistic uh, that numbers will be increasing in terms of the number of nests that, that we um, find and the number of nests that we're monitoring. I think there's probably a lot more bald eagle nests that are out there on the landscape that we don't know about, hmm. particularly in the west slope of Colorado and some of the more remote remote river areas. Uh, on the Front Range, we have an exceptional group of uh, about 60 volunteers that are monitoring bald eagle nests and numerous people that are also running around looking for bald eagle nests, uh, both um, by airplane and on the ground. So. Uh, I think we have a pretty good handle on what's happening on the front range, but in other parts of the state, I think I think there's yet to be dozens of more nests uh, discovered, especially if the, the effort's put into searching for them. Well, that's great to hear your optimism. Mike, we appreciate uh, your insights, information, and time here today on Colorado Outdoors. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Our thanks to Risa Conry, Matt Smith, and Mike Sherman for their insights and observations as they study our national symbol, the bald eagle, here in the state of Colorado. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, be sure and get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.